Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey, everybody. Listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. who have an insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion, and love with passion and our passion who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution who would rather die than fall in line to conform who constantly challenge the norm who greet each and every day as if just born i say to you i know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact and in fact i know it best when i say to you i love you hello there 
my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and files and files of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Fantastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for, <laughs> it's in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge with the kayaks, you know, <laughs> Just go to podcasts.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. <laughs>
crops are all in and the peach trees are rotting and the oranges are piled in the creosote dumps well you're flying them back to the mexican border to pay off their money to wait back again Goodbye to you, Juan, and goodbye, Rosalita. Goodbye, mi amigo, Jesus and Maria. You won't have a name when you fly the big airplane. And all they will call you is just deportees. My father's own father, he waded that river. Well, they took all the money that he made in his life. My sisters and brothers came working the fruit tree. And they rode in the truck till they took down and died. Goodbye to you, Juan. Goodbye, Rosalita. Goodbye, mi amigo, Jesus and Maria. You won't have a name when you fly the big airplane. For all they will call you is just deportees. Some of us are illegal and some are not wanted. Our work contracts out and we've got to move on. 600 miles to the Mexican border. They chase us like outlaws, like rufflers, like thieves. Goodbye. To you, Juan, and goodbye, Rosalita. Goodbye, oh, mi amigo Jesus and Maria. Well, you won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. And all they will call you is just deportees. Well, we died in your hills, and we died in your desert. And we died in your valleys, and we died on your plains. We died neath your trees, and we died neath the bushes. Both sides of the river, we died just the same. Goodbye to you. One goodbye, Rosalita. Goodbye, mi amigo Jesus and Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. Oh, all they will call you will be 
deportee. Well, the skyplane caught fire over Los Gatos Canyon. A fireball of lightning shook all our hills. Who are all those people all scattered like dry leaves? Well, the radio said just Deportees. Is this the best way we can grow our big orchard? Is this the best way we can grow our good fruit? To fall like dry leaves and rot on your topsoil. Be called by no name except Deportees. Goodbye to you, I'm goodbye, Rosalita. Goodbye, me amigo Jesus and Maria. And you won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. We're all living calm. And good morning, good morning to all of you who have tuned in, tuned in to Mutiny Radio, Mutiny Radio's 10 o'clock every Saturday offering, Labor and Love Radio, welcome. To kick off the show, we played three songs about work. <clears throat> Number one. Julian Adderley and his work song, 1960 Adderley watched some guys who were working uh, in the front of his house in Florida, where his family lived, and um, wrote this song, work song, and it became a big hit, one of the first... Uh, or one of the notable jazz songs that became a big hit. We'll play Nina Simone's version of that in a little while. Okay. And uh, the one we just heard, wa of course, was Barbara Dane. And I have a tendency to play this song... Too often, I'm afraid. Um, I I think it's a, a really good marriage of meaning and melody. This is Labor and Love Radio. And uh, the second song we played was kind of a look back because um, Cinco de Mayo has come and gone. And we didn't really have a show dedicated to Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo, of course... The 5th of May, 1862, when an army of uh, Mexican troops and 
irregulars, I guess you could call them, you know, regular people, drove off a French army at the time France was the one of the premier powers in Europe and th- therefore in the world. Their day would come in a few years when they fought a war against Prussia, but that's another story. France had had sent troops to Mexico. This is something that powers, including the U.S., many times have done. Uh, sent troops to Mexico, thinly disguised uh, excuse for taking Mexican territory, or in the case of France, France had blockaded the the harbor of Veracruz, and they were taking all the money, uh, collecting the customs. Um, So, De Colores, uh, the song, of course, of Cesar Chavez, and his I don't want to call it a crusade, let's say campaign of Chavez and his followers to make lives better for the people who bring our food to the table. The farm workers, de colores. This is the Be In Your Tuned to Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio, Community Arts Center here on 21st and Florida. Yes, we do have a physical presence, a real studio, a real art gallery. Mutiny Radio is a scene of a very energetic and vital uh, comedy, comedy scene. Our station manager, Pam Benjamin, organizes comedy shows where people can get up and try out their material, get constructive criticism from the audience. So come on down and do it. Mutiny Radio, where it's going on, and the show you're listening to is Labor and Love Radio. My name is Bill Morgan. I'm a retired member of both Local 61, the Teachers Union in San Francisco, and Local 510, Sign and Display. We set up and tear down trade shows at Moscone Center, among other places. Looking forward to getting back to work, I'm sure, all the brothers and sisters. At any rate, this is Labor and Love Radio, Or we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table where you work, at the negotiating table, that is. You're on the menu. And never never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio... Where the labor meets the road. Well, what do we got going on this week? We're going to dedicate a lot of the, dedicate a lot of the show to the <clears throat> experience of black workers 
got a collection, nice collection here from coal mines to chain gangs and beyond. We're going to hear radio labor any minute now. The worldwide la radio labor report. Radio labor today focuses on the fascist government of, oh, where, what? Fascist? The U.S., the Republican Party, to be specific. What is this? In the middle of a pandemic, GOP governors are withholding federal unemployment benefits. Why would that be? We want our workers back to work. We'll take that one apart. <laughs> um, we got the labor beat from our Labor and Love Radio uh, Facebook page. Check it out, Labor and Love Radio. Jordanian teachers, general strike in Colombia. What's going on? Got labor notes and so much more. See if we can arrange to have our uh, campus correspondence. Okay, so this is the B, and you're welcome to Labor Radio, and let's listen to Radio Labor. Radio Labor is our weekly news. On Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, May 14th. I'm Mark Polonkis. In the report this week, the fascist Republican Party in the United States is trying to rebrand itself as a workers' party. Labor in the United Kingdom is fighting racism in the country. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. Don't fall for the Republican Party's working class rebrand. It's a cruel hoax. That is Robert Reich, a former labor secretary in the Clinton administration in the United States. He is currently a professor at the University of California, Berkeley. The Republican Party has been turning even more forcefully to the fascist right while declaring itself a supporter of working people in the country. Mr. Reich. The Republican Party is trying to rebrand itself as the party of the working class. Rubbish. Republicans can spout all of the catchy slogans about blue jeans and beer they want, but actions speak louder than words. So what are they actually doing? Did they vote for the American Rescue Plan? No. Not a single Republican in Congress voted for stimulus checks and extra unemployment benefits needed by millions of American workers. So what have they voted for? Well, every single one of them voted for Trump's 2017 tax cuts for the wealthy 
and corporations, of which 83% of the benefits go to the richest 1% over a decade. They claim that corporations would use the savings from the tax cut to invest in their workers. In reality, corporations use their tax savings to buy back shares of their own stock in order to boost share values. And some corporations then fired large portions of their workforce. Not very pro-worker, if you ask me. Have they voted for any taxes on the wealthy? No, quite the opposite. Republicans refused to tax the rich. They had been trying to get rid of the estate tax, which only applies to estates worth at least $11.7 million for individuals and $23.4 million for married couples. Working class my foot. Have they backed a bill to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which a majority of Americans favor? No, Republicans refuse to raise the minimum wage, even though it would give 32 million workers a raise. That's about a fifth of the entire U.S. workforce. Do they support unions, which empower workers to get better pay and benefits? No, again. To the contrary, Republicans have enacted right-to-work law in 28 states, decimating unions' bargaining power and enabling businesses to exploit their workers. And when it comes to strengthening labor laws, only five out of 211 Republicans voted for the PRO Act in the House, the toughest labor law legislation in a generation. How about the historic union drive at the Bessemer, Alabama, Amazon warehouse, which Joe Biden and almost all Democrats strongly backed? Just one Republican spoke out in support. All others have been dead silent. What about backing regulations to keep workers safe? Nope. In fact, they didn't bat an eye when Trump rolled back child labor protections, undid worker safeguards for exposure to cancerous radiation, and gutted measures that shield workers from wage theft. Do they support overtime? No. They allowed Trump to eliminate overtime for 8 million workers and continue to repeat the corporate lie about job-killing regulations. What about expanding access to health care? to all working people. Not a chance. Republicans at the state level have blocked Medicaid expansion and enacted Medicaid work requirements, while Republicans in Congress have tried for years to repeal the entirety of the Affordable Care Act. If they succeeded, they would have stripped health care away from more than 20 million working Americans. So don't fall for the Republican Party's working class rebrand. It's a cruel hoax. The GOP doesn't give a fig about working people. It is and always will be the party of big business and billionaires. People of color are being disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. That is why the British Trade Union Congress recently organized a webinar on the topic. One of the participants in the webinar was the General Secretary of the TUC, Frances O'Grady. We know that Black and ethnic minority people are much more likely to be key workers and to be on that COVID front line, uh, which means that they were putting their health and continue to put the health of themselves and their families on the line for the rest of us. And very often, as we know at the start of this crisis, they didn't even have proper protective equipment to do that. 
They're also much more likely to be on insecure contracts, like zero hours and full self-employment, which means they're much less likely to get even basic sick pay when people need to take time off sick or self-isolate. So, you know, I will keep saying this, key workers cared for us, it's time we cared for them. And to be honest, after those announcements on the defence review, if the government's got money for more nuclear warheads, then why haven't they got the money to give all our key workers a decent, real pay rise? But just on that point, because I think this is about more than money, it says something really profound about how we value people and how deep racism runs. And that's why, again, I think all of us have to keep pressing that call for an independent public inquiry, including into the racism that we saw in the handling of this pandemic and why it is that black and ethnic minority communities have paid an even higher price. So we need that independent public inquiry. And I know I can count on everybody on this call to raise our voices to get it. Um, this week, Patrick, we had another reminder, didn't we, with um, the policing bill passed through Parliament. And let, let's make no bones about it. This bill, which is an anti-democratic bill designed to crack down on our right to protest, it was conceived in response to those Black Lives Matters protests. So let's be honest about what the origin of this bill is. It's gobsmacking, really, in terms of the new powers it's seeking to take. There's even a new offence called serious annoyance. And to be frank, as many other people have commented, if serious annoyance was an offence, half the cabinet would be banged up tomorrow. But it has backfired badly, I think. We saw that mishandling of the vigil in response to the death of a woman, the murder of a woman walking home. We've seen how those women at the vigil were treated. And I think it shocked everybody. And I think it is important to say this, that I think the Labour Party was quite right in pointing out that it comes to something when you can get 10 years in jail for toppling, thatching, glorifying slave traders, or what we would call nowadays people traffickers. Imagine that you can get 10 years for toppling a statue like that, and yet you can only get five years for raping a real live woman. What does that say about our values? I think it says the government's got its priorities all wrong. We have got to lead from the front as a movement, and we cannot lecture others if we don't get our own house in order. But let's be honest, we have not got the representation at every level of the movement in every walk of life that we need to see. And this isn't just some kind of moral duty. This is because we know as working people that our opponents always set out to divide us. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackout. Each day, Labour Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of their work. 
Our top story section included links to coverage of a personal video appeal from the spouse of an Iranian teachers' union leader imprisoned for his activism, the decision by the global unions to pull out of a Bangladesh garment industry safety agreement after it proved unworkable, and calls from unions everywhere to end the fighting in Palestine. One story that has had a long, perhaps too long, life on our news pages is the effect of so-called P3s, or public-private partnerships, on public services and private profits. This week, more information about the lethal Mexico City overhead rail line collapse have come to light. Mexico City transport workers struck in protest as more details confirmed their initial conclusion that the company responsible for the disaster cut corners in ways that affected the safety of both workers and the public, all in an effort to increase its profits. The Public Services International and National Public Sector Unions around the world have been fighting P3s for decades. Search the PSI website for information on how private corporations use this funding structure for public services to extract huge profits and how public money is converted into greater and greater profits while services and the quality of public infrastructure are eroded, sometimes, as in Mexico City, fatally eroded. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found a story about the impact of the military coup in Myanmar on gender equality, or rather the growing lack of it there, and how this explains why so many trade union leaders in that country leading the protest movement are women. We also covered calls from domestic workers' unions across Africa for action on needed labor rights reforms that would provide them with the basic protections that other workers enjoy, and the death of a pioneer fighter for sex workers' rights in India. Our health and safety newswire carried stories about a school in South Africa that teachers want closed because students and staff have been wounded by stray bullets resulting from a gang war and then forced to return to class immediately afterwards. Our photo of the week is of a clash between Colombian police and trade unionists protesting tax changes, which would make that country even more unequal than it already is. Unions around the world have condemned the horrific levels of state violence directed at the protesters. Already, 50 are dead, hundreds have been wounded, and many, many more have been disappeared. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include an urgent appeal for online solidarity with Canadian unionist Sian Erdal, who has been imprisoned in Turkey since last September. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackletter from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is the American folk singer Woody Guthrie with his 1944 song, All You Fascists Are Bound to Lose.
internet if international labor news you can use. You can find our features and daily newscasts at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. blues soul sound is Nina Simone. Nina?
was at Julio Iglesias' party, and uh, it was after the Grammys, and the record people were all there, and they were taking pictures, and everybody was buzzing about, you know, doing Hollywood. And so a lady came in, which I didn't pay any attention to her. She was talking to me, and, and I guess I must have said, I'm so tired, I wish these people would go home, you know. She was sort of asleep, and her face was facing a little tiny TV set. I didn't recognize who she was. And um, I walked in and I looked at her and I thought, gee, you know, she works hard for the money. And I said, you know what, I work hard for my money. And, and the minute I said it, it was like, oh, she works hard for the money. She works hard for the money. That's a hit. That's a hit. I know it's a hit. And I noticed her writing down, but I didn't pay any attention to her. So I ran to the bathroom and got some toilet paper off the roll. <laughs> and I started writing the song. I said, a song about me? Everybody was asking for my autograph. They would come in to see me and say, are you Onetta? Are you the one that she wrote? Did she write it? I said, yes, she did. And she did.
set working people <clears throat> Woody Guthrie singing out to the fascists you're bound to lose and of course the story about Woody Guthrie is that he had on his guitar a sign that said this machine kills fascists <clears throat> after uh, Robert Reich's rundown on radio labor about about how the Republican Party now is trying to sell itself as a working person's party. <laughs> Good luck. In a minute, we'll skip to a story that gives a little doubt to that. Um, Nina Simone from an appearance on the Merv Griffin Show sometime in the 60s, I guess. Nina Simone, as always, you know, not a big celebrity type, not a big grin for everybody, not a big happy, because Nina Simone was dead serious about what she was singing. In this case, the work song written by Oscar Brown Jr., and then Donna Summer with sort of a glitzy approach to work. Um, hard for the money. She works hard for the money. And the story behind the, the uh, song about how she met a, uh, a bathroom attendant when some party she went to and used that meeting to talk about working women everywhere, those people, those invisible people who clean everything, who keep everything running. Who cook your food, who harvest your food, those invisible workers. Donna Summer, hard for the money. So let's talk about this now. Um, the government, the Republican Party, it, we're on the Intelligencer, which is part of New York Magazine. GOP governors end COVID unemployment benefits to make people go back to work. Republican state leaders are once again in the business of giving up free money. As of last week, a dozen GOP-controlled legislators, dozen legislatures have declined the free federal funds in the American Rescue Plan designed to further entice holdout states to accept Medicaid expansion. How many people, working people in those states, need that money? Hello, all of them. While this refusal to provide 
health insurance to individuals making less than $17,600 a year. It's rooted in early squabbles over expansion a decade ago. A new front is emerging over ending pandemic unemployment benefits in order to make residents go back to service industry jobs that pay little more than the $300 per week payments secured until September. What is happening? This is the pro-worker party. People are trying to give money. The government is trying to give money to working people who are unemployed. Montana's Governor Greg Jeanfort was the first governor to announce that his state will end its participation. He says, Montana is open for business again, but I hear from too many employers throughout our state who can't find workers. <laughs> Maybe they're not being paid enough. Maybe their working conditions are so bad. Nearly every sector in our economy, he says, faces a labor shortage. Boy, you need those workers now, huh? During one textile strike in the Carolinas, I believe, during the 30s, one of the company's spokespeople said, cut off their food. They'll come back to work. Well, that's, what, that's what's happening here. That $300 is not being saved. It's being spent on families, on children. To help entice workers to re-enter the job market, <coughs> John Ford also announced the Montana Return to Work Bonus Initiative, in which those who opt to prior, who opt in prior to the deadline, can receive $1,200 payment to accept the job. South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster says, without the lure of a one-time cash bonus, in many instances, these payments are greater than the workers' previous paychecks. He described the cash as a dangerous federal entitlement. Okay, so you're a working person. You don't have a job. The government wants to give you money, and Uncle Henry, the governor of South Carolina, doesn't want you to get that money. He doesn't want your kid to eat, if it's down to that. He doesn't want you to have to, <clears throat> to avoid going into debt by maxing out your credit cards or whatever you're doing to keep going. Oh, no, and then they're always saying, oh, these, these jobs, this is too good. Well, unemployment benefits don't last forever. It's not like an income, a guaranteed income. Those benefits will run out sooner or later. It 
Setting aside state benefits, $300 weekly payments constitute an annual income of $15,600, which is a few hundred dollars more than the annual pre-tax income working 40 hours a week with the federal minimum wage. If these payments are often greater than the workers' previous paychecks, hello, perhaps it's not beneficial for those workers to return to jobs paying so little. Particularly for parents navigating the final months of the second pandemic school year. Stimulus checks creating a labor shortage, people being able to eat and support themselves and live in shelter, you know, shelters and homes creates a labor shortage. This just showed us, shows us how screwed up, how screwed up our economic system is. Anyway, the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell has noted that if that would be the case, if stimulus benefits are creating a labor shortage, we don't see wages moving up yet, and we would presumably see that in a really tight labor market. Underwhelming jobs report. This is, <clears throat> again... The emperor's naked. <laughs> the emperor wants you to go back to work so you can keep paying him money. The emperor wants you to go back to work so he can make a profit, so business can thrive at the expense of its workers. And did we ever get the idea that a business was separate from its workers? Okay, enough said. See what we got here. Labor activist Dolores Huerta reflects on her decades and the long fight for workers' rights. And Dolores talks. Dolores turns 90, turned 91 years old on April 10th. And her birthday has been recognized as Dolores Huerta Day in her home state of California since 2018. So the interviewer asks, how are you doing during the quarantine? She goes, well, I'm still alive. The foundation is doing a lot of work. raising money to give to families who aren't able to get resources, canvassing with face shields and face masks and going door to door, giving people information about what resources are available to them. The person who inspired me was an Anglo, Fred Ross Jr. And he's the one who taught myself, Cesar Chavez, and many others how to organize. 
Back in the 50s, the larger movements hadn't really started. This was about the time of the Montgomery bus boycott. But because of the way information traveled, a lot of the work in the South didn't get media play until later. It wasn't until I learned in the community service organization, you could organize, take direct action, and pass laws. I think it's some respects it's easier to organize now because social media can inform, educate, and mobilize people. We saw how incredible the mobilization was during the women's marches after Trump was elected and the Black Lives Matter involvement protests to the Parkland, Florida students marching to end gun violence. There were international Black Lives Matter and women's marches as well. Social media mobilized people quickly. We should be cognizant of the fact that there are a lot of people who aren't informed, who have racist, discriminatory, and reactionary views. Manifested themselves, for instance, in the January 6th capital attack. It's not enough to say you're not racist. You have to be anti-racist. People have to take a position. Racists are not racist. Sexists are not sexist. Homophobic are not homophobic. Whether they believe in science or they don't, Reverend Al Sharpton said, took their hoods off and put on their suits. Anyway, Dolores Huerta's interview is on Portside. So check it out. Talking about the Republican Party and its quote-unquote new look, here's Francesca Fiorentini with her take. Let's cancel the Republican Party, she said. She's talking, but she's he's talking, but she's he's talking, but she's not coming through. As our government attempts to hand off the reins of power to the incoming Biden administration, Americans are finally coming face to face with the consequences of what happens when those reins of power are given to someone who, aside from a couple of wives, has never let anything go in his life. Even Miss Universe has a better understanding of the transfer of power than the guy who owned the Miss Universe pageant. I never understood why they passed the tiara. She won last time. He should win again. She's still hot. I'm still hot. On the plus side, we finally now know that the time period Trumpers are referring to when they say make America great again is 1860, which begs the question, will there be storming of the Capitol reenactments in the future? And who gets to play the guy with the horns? I want to be Elizabeth the Onion Girl. We are storming the Capitol. It's a revolution. Now Democrats will have to govern over a divided country split between armed anti-government, anti-science, conspiracy theorists radicalized by Facebook, 
and people who can breathe through their nose. So what's the way forward? I'm Francesca Fiorentini, and though Biden claims he wants to be FDR, he'll also have to be Abraham Lincoln and not negotiate with insurrectionists. Joe Biden is assuming the presidency, and Donald Trump has once again been impeached. At least that's where things stood as of this recording. Everything is moving so fast, we've pre-recorded all kinds of headlines just to cover our bases. Donald Trump has pardoned himself and Martin Shkreli for some reason. Donald Trump has swallowed the nuclear football. The president is barricading himself in the Oval Office and using Melania as a human shield. MAGA hordes have sacrificed Mike Pence to Q, who turns out is Queen Elizabeth? Our country is facing a tough few weeks, months, and years ahead. Not just because there's still a rampant virus ripping through it, but because after the attack on the Capitol, there's no doubt that Trumpism is as big of a threat. And while Biden has walked back his claim that Republicans would have an epiphany once Trump was defeated, it turns out he was right. They did have an epiphany, and that was to make a clean break from reality. While the last four years, liberals have vacillated from outrage to normalization to podcasts with titles like, Can he do that? The right has been steadily poisoning the minds of its voters with outright lies about election fraud and given a green light to violence. Trumpism has spread like a zombie infection in the Republican Party, which is almost unfair to zombies because at least zombies value brains. And it's important not to minimize just how far the party has fallen, going from defending minority rule to defending mob rule. It's a short fall, you know, like from the gutter to the sewer, but it's a fall nonetheless. Because we know that those who attacked the Capitol weren't just egged on by the president or his immediate goons, but orchestrated by an array of current Republican lawmakers and their underwriters who willingly embraced the upside-down reality of MAGA to their political advantage. Like Ted Cruz, who hyped up the Stop the Steal movement as a second American revolution. You were patriots just like the patriots gathered at Bunker Hill, just like the patriots gathered at Valley Forge, just like the patriots who forged this nation. The men and women gathered here and across the state of Georgia are fighting for the United States of America. Oh, God, he's such an embarrassing tryhard. It feels like he's auditioning for America's next top MAGA. All right, work the smize, work the lies, go. Sedition, 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 sedition. <laughs> And there's an ongoing investigation as to the degree of GOP orchestration of the insurrection, but what we know for sure is that Representative Mary Miller spoke at the rally and reminded attendees that Hitler was right, cool, 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 and that former West Virginia House member Derek Evans was part of the mob himself because he live-streamed it. in a pandemic that's not cool bro cover your mouth when you coo mama always said the plan for the january 6th stop the steal rally was hatched from inside congress with the help of powerful gop dark money groups like the tea party patriots turning point action and the rule of law defense fund which is chaired by the current alabama republican attorney general GOP lawmakers like this Pennsylvania state senator not only attended it, he spent thousands of dollars coordinating bus rides to D.C. But it appears as if three Republican congresspeople of the far right, ironically named Freedom Caucus, 
along with the MAGA celebrity Ali Alexander, were the most directly involved in the planning. Just listen to Ali brag about it. He says, I was the person who came up with the January 6th idea with Congressman Gosar, Congressman Mo Brooks, and then Congressman Andy Biggs. We four schemed up of putting maximum pressure on Congress while they were voting. I just love that three Congress people decided to stage an insurrection with a meme lord who looks like he called in a bomb threat to the prom he didn't have a date to. Representatives Mo Brooks of Alabama and Paul Gosar and Andy Biggs of Arizona all helped pull the event off. And they knew that there would be violence. In fact, they encouraged it. The Arizona Republican Party retweeted Ali professing that he was willing to give his life to the cause of stopping Joe Biden, adding, he is, are you? Which is the extremist version of, you up, bro? Mo Brooks echoed a similar sentiment when he spoke at the rally itself. Today is the day American patriots start taking down names and kicking ass. God, who knew the Gordon Fishsticks guy got super radicalized? The crossover between the Republican Party and white extremist organizations is so obvious. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says that she didn't feel safe sheltering from the mob with her fellow Congress people. Because there were QAnon and white supremacist sympathizers and frankly white supremacist members of Congress um, in that extraction point who would create opportunities to allow me to be hurt. And if it sounds like AOC is being alarmist, Republican and Q-curious Representative Lauren Boebert did tweet out to her supporters, some of whom were in the building, that Nancy Pelosi had left the House floor, effectively alerting them to her movement. The entire Republican Party has been compromised. And the sooner Biden understands that, the better he can govern. Because what the militia groups and the boat dads tried to do that day was in effect what 67 Republicans also tried to do when they objected to the Electoral College vote. Sit on democracy. I rise up for myself and 60 of my colleagues to object to the uh, counting of the electoral ballots from Arizona. Damn, Gosar was a bit nervous right there. And I guess he should have been because he's stuck between obeying democratic law and trying to please this. Hang Mike Pence? That's one of the most go-along loyalists Trump has ever had, who's lied for him repeatedly, being chanted down by the MAGA mob. And therein lies the problem of mob rule. No matter how loyal you are to it, it will one day come for you. Like another Trump enabler, Senator Lindsey Graham. You are a traitor, Lindsey Graham. A traitor. The right has fed the cult of Trumpism and has sicked it on so many Americans, Muslims, immigrants, workers, women, Black Lives Matter protesters, LGBTQ people, and now it's come for them. In November, it came for Fox News for reporting reality. In fact, the only two Republicans to openly denounce Trump lost their primary races in 2020. And yet, the pathology, the fringe anti-government, white supremacist, Christian nationalist, QAnon pathology goes even beyond Trump himself. This is Coy Griffin, a Republican county commissioner from New Mexico who was also part of the mob. It's gonna be a sad day because there's gonna be blood running out of that building, but at the end of the day, you mark my word, we will plant our flag on the desk of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Donald J. Trump if it boils down to it. Wow. Also, how does that guy have a job that's not selling used cars? And how is that job funded by taxpayers? 
Yet still, GOP lawmakers are trying to wash their hands of responsibility, floating false equivalencies with progressive causes and calling impeachment and accountability one very particular thing. This is more than about impeaching the president of the United States. This is about canceling the president and canceling all the people you guys disagree with. And if we get rid of the cancel culture and the des desire to delegitimize our president. And I'm concerned that really the impeachment is a form of cancel culture. They want him expelled. You have a book deal from Josh Hawley being uh, canceled. That's part of the canceled culture. If, if you really want to bring unity and cool down the simmering uh, embers that are burning right now, you don't pour more gas on the fire. Yes, the best thing to do with fire is ignore it. You guys remember that lesson in elementary school? When you see a fire, close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Republicans love law and order, but when they break the law by inciting a riot and literally killing cops, then it's cancel culture. It's not cancel culture, it's accountability. And how are you more afraid of that than you are of white supremacists? But you know what? If that's their only boogeyman, who are we to take that from them? Let's cancel the Republican Party. We know who they are and the lengths they're willing to go to maintain power, so what should we do with them? Well, it turns out there's an entire cancel culture amendment to the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, which was written following the Civil War to ensure against this exact type of insurrection, stating, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Oh, looks like you're all canceled. Mm, the U.S. Constitution is the ultimate receipt. By that standard, Representative Cori Bush, who introduced a bill to force the resignation of those who incited the mob, is right on. These lawmakers gotta go. The men and women in uniform who participated in the mob, they also gotta go. Unity is not possible when one side is smearing their own feces in the halls of Congress. That actually happened. We should have an amendment against that. There's no more meeting a bad faith political party driven by minority and mob rule in the middle, okay? There's no negotiating with insurrectionists. They belong in the history books. As Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says, And so I wanna be clear to Senator Ted Cruz, you do not belong in the United States Senate. I wanna be clear to Senator Josh Hawley, you do not belong in the United States Senate. Let me give you a sneak peek. You will never be president. You will never command the respect of this country. Cancel Republicans. We don't need them. Thanks to organizers and voters in Georgia, the Senate will be split with a tie-breaking vote going to a woman whose name David Perdue will never mispronounce again. Democrats need to get to work, reversing Trump policies, stopping COVID, truly helping struggling Americans, and making sure that we root out white supremacist extremist violence, starting with their colleagues across the aisle. Thanks so much for watching, everyone. Make sure you're subscribed to AJ Plus to get Newsbroke episodes first in this very limited run this January. Uh, there's so much I didn't get to talk about in this episode, like just how racist the attackers were or the role of the media and all this. My God the media.
Also, if you want more from me beyond Newsbrook, I have a podcast called The Bituation Room. And yes, you heard that right. See you next time. Francesca Fiorentini with her uh, <coughs> her read on what we should do, cancel the Republican Party. Because they've turned against the government. They've turned against law and order as, as it exists, right? They're bucking to get into the history books. And they certainly will. But as what? These are the same people now who want to take that money away from you, that money that the government has already passed. Okay, I'm going to play something. I've been trying to play this for several weeks. This is from Studs Terkel's book called Work. And... Work? Oh, well, I don't work. Well, I mean, yes, I work, but I don't have a job. I mean, well, what I do only matters to three people. All I am is just a housewife. Nothing special, nothing great. What I do is kind of boring. If you'd rather, it can wait. All I am is someone's mother. All I am is someone's wife. All of which seems unimportant. All it is is just my life. Do the laundry, wash the dishes, take the dog out, clean the house. Shop for groceries, look for specials. God, it seems so Mickey Mouse. Drop the kids off, pick the shirts up. Try to lose weight, try again. Keep the troops fed, pick their things up. Lose your patience, count to ten. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All I am is just a housewife, just a housewife, nothing great. What I do is out of fashion, what I feel is out of date. All I am is someone's mother, right away I'm not too bright. What I do is unfulfilling, so the TV talk shows tell me every night. Did you ever think, really stop and think what a job it was? 
I'm afraid it's unimpressive. All I am is someone's mother. Nothing special. What I do is unexciting. Take the kids here, take the kids there. I don't mean to complain at all. Busy, busy every day. Like my mother. Just a housewife. I didn't want to become a housewife like my mother and my sisters. I think I've always known what I wanted out of life, more. I was 15. I was sitting in a coffee shop when a friend came by and said, hurry up, I've got a cab waiting. You can make $100 in 20 minutes. We went to a penthouse. The guy up there was quite well known. He wanted to watch two women do it, and then he wanted to have sex with me. <laughs> it was barely sex. He was almost finished by the time we started. It was a tremendous kick. <laughs> I mean, there I was, doing nothing, feeling nothing. And in 20 minutes, I would walk out the door with $100 in my pocket. But just out of curiosity, um. How many of you make $100 for 20 minutes work? Uh-huh. <laughs> I was still in high school. I think of myself as an upper-class working girl. The press calls me a socialite, which is just another name for a well-dressed fundraiser. I began in the 80s. I gave a party in Washington for Nicaraguan refugee children. It wasn't for the Contras, although I'm sure that would have been lots of fun, too. But fundraising is work. It's hard to separate people from their money. It's a marketplace transaction. Somehow I managed to absorb that when I was young. I was a precocious child. Actually, um, I was sort of lonely. I didn't experience myself as being attractive. I didn't look like a Calvin Klein ad. I was bright and I didn't play by the rules. Guys were mostly scared of me. They didn't want to get involved emotionally, but they did want to screw. For a while, I was willing to accept that. It was feeling intimacy, feeling warm, feeling. Oh, the other day, I was riding around New York in a limousine during a hotel strike, and there was nowhere to go. And I thought, now I know what it feels like to be a bag lady. <laughs> well, you can't pick up every homeless person and bring them home with you. But if you can help by saying something entertaining, you bring a light into their eyes. Maybe that's what the word social light means. <laughs> you become your job. I've become a hustler. I mean, even when I'm not hustling, I'm a hustler. What you do is what you are. I don't think it's terribly different from somebody who works on an assembly line 40 hours a week and comes home cut off, numb. People aren't built to switch on and off like water faucets. I work in a luggage factory. We make suitcases. The tank I work at is six foot deep, eight feet square. In 40 seconds, 
you have to take the wet felt out of the felter. Put the blanket on to draw out the excess moisture. Wait two, three seconds. Take the blanket off. Pick the wet felt up and balance it on your shoulder. Reach over, get the hose. Spray the inside with copper screen. Turn around, walk to the hot dry dye behind you. Take the hot piece off and set it on the floor. Put the wet piece on the dry dye. Push this button. Inspect the piece we just took off. Stack it and count it. 40 seconds. In the summertime, the temperature at our workstation ranges anywhere from 100 to 150 degrees. I've taken the thermometers and checked it out. I have arthritis in the joints of my fingers, naturally in my shoulder, balancing this wet piece. The hose will sometimes leak and spray back on you. The hydraulic presses leak, so you're slipping on oil. You have the possibility of being burnt every time the hot dye hits that wet felt. You're engulfed in a cloud of steam every 40 seconds. The tanks run 24 hours a day. I work eight straight hours with two 10-minute breaks and one 20-minute break for lunch. I find it difficult to eat my lunch in that length of time. 40 seconds. Granddad was a sailor, and he blew in off the water. My father was a farmer, and I his only daughter. And I took up with a no-good mill-working man from Massachusetts who died from too much whiskey and leaves me these three faces to feed. Mill-work ain't easy. Mill-work ain't hard. Mill-work most often is a goddamn awful boring job and I'm waiting for a daydream to take me through the morning put me in my coffee break where I can have my sandwich and remember it's me and my machine for the rest of the morning for the rest of the afternoon and the rest of my life. 40 seconds. They can't keep men on the tanks. They say it's too monotonous. I think women adjust to monotony better than men do because their minds are used to doing two things at once, where a man can only think of one thing at a time. A woman can listen to a child while she's doing something else. It's the same way on the tanks. You get to be automatic in what you're doing, and your mind is doing my mind begins to wander to my days back on the farm and I can see my father smiling at me swinging on his arm and I can hear my granddad's stories of the storms out on Lake Erie vessels and cargoes fortunes and sailors lives were lost And I have been a fool to let this man you 
Okay, that was uh, part of a, a story called Working, uh, based on the book of the same title by Studs Terkel, where he just uh, went around and interviewed people about their jobs and their feelings about their jobs. That section was called... First of all, you heard just a housewife. Of course, the work of housewives is <coughs> totally undervalued. <laughs> Most people don't even consider it work until they have to do it. And then some working women monologues. So, check it out. Studs Terkel working. Terkel um, was not only one of the most... Important journalist, but he talked to regular people. Okay, so let's switch gears here. I've invited uh, our campus correspondents, Vita and Yemen, to uh, come on our show. Hello, you guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, good. good. I I can hear you really loud. Okay, good. Um, every week we every week we talk to our campus correspondents, students at um, UC Davis, about something that's going on and going on out in the world, something that relates to the lives of working people. And um, this week we've got a. <laughs> an issue to talk about that's been with us for many, many years. The oppression of Palestinian people, specifically in the area of Gaza, which has flared up again now. So you guys, can you give me a, a reaction that you had to the latest news in Gaza where hundreds of Palestinians are dying? What well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and start, uh, to be honest with you, as someone who has Middle Eastern heritage, yeah. um, I, I, don't, I don't even know that, and that's on purpose, because um, I've tried to uh, avoid the news, and a lot of people feel like that's like sort of like a betrayal, um, but it's really like, um, you know, First of all, we have to recognize people are suffering everywhere in the world. Um, that's that's very important to recognize. So wherever you're from, you have to recognize the suffering is everywhere. And then you sort of start getting desensitized because if you keep thinking about it, you won't like be able to go on. You know, like you would just be trapped in. You know, I've spent my early twenties um, just like sort of being trapped uh, in like, oh, why is there so much injustice going on? And then I'm sure a lot of us have in our own ways. And so um, when it comes to what's going on, what what is disheartening, you know, is that is, is that it's happening in like Muslim Christmas, you know, uh, time. Exactly. Which, which people don't realize, like, at the end of the day, war, war is a problem. Um, you know, finding ways to get, you know, I, I, you know, you know what I mean, war is the problem, and so a two-state solution, everybody living in peace, 
you know, that's the goal. That's, uh, that's what, uh, that's what, that's the only way to go, you know? And if, if people don't recognize what disproportionate means, then we're never going to get there. And, and that's what's going on. It's, uh, and it's, it's cyclical. These news cycles almost happen on, on like auto pay almost like every seven years, every whatever years, like there's, there's a disproportionate, uh, uh, attack towards, you know, the, the Palestinian people and, you know, like the Muslims and the Jews, they're all brothers and sisters and we all come from Abraham. Um, and we're all like, we're all like at the end of the day, we're all after one thing, which is like peace and prosperity for humanity. And so we know that's not the problem. The problem is just, it's just, you know, it's just politics like it is everywhere else. State interests. Yeah, that's, that's all, you know, that's all it is. And the more we can all talk about it, uh, the more we can all get what we want. And so that's my take on the situation. Like, I try not to, like, I try, when I hear about things happening, you know, anywhere in the world, in Mexico and all that stuff, like, I, I try not to listen because, and I know it's, it's a betrayal to people, some people consider it to be a betrayal, but I, right now I'm trying to focus on making as much money as I can to start, like, relieving the burden off as many people that are suffering in the world. And so that's how I try and cope. So that's my take on it. Okay. I mean, uh, one guy who was interviewed last week said, uh, told the interviewer when he was eight years old, all this, all this had started, the state of Israel, and now he's 60 or 70 years old, and it's still going on. Exactly. And, uh, you know, in my mind, what it amounts to is just, uh, the Israelis just want the Palestinians gone, and they want to take their homes, and they want to take their livelihoods. And yeah. anyway, so Vita, what do you think about it? What's your read on it? Well, well, I recently read a Noam Chomsky article about it that he wrote, I think, back in the early two thousands, and about how like there was this Geneva Convention. You know, after, and then, like, after the Nazis were tried and everything, there's this all this international laws set up so that certain things wouldn't happen. And in those same courts where the Nazis were tried after their Holocaust, you know, atrocities, Israel was also tried for atrocities. And in that court, it was found that, like, a lot of the things they were doing were illegal. And that was, like, in the 1970s, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think, you know, there are a lot of things that are just unequal. And I think that there's a lot of things that don't make sense. And I feel like, you know, in the news, when, like, for example, like there's two models who are Palestinian, who are half Palestinian, half white, and they came out in favor of. Palestine, and not in favor, just, you know, about the atrocities and using their humongous platform um, for some attention. And then when you go on the news, on Snapchat News, it says, Gigi and Bella attack Israel. Of course. Gigi and Bella anti-Semitic. Right. Literally, like, and it's like, well, they're Semites also because they're Palestinian. You know, so the language and the media are being used in very critical 
and technical ways to make an image that isn't true. And like Yaman said, like everyone is brothers and sisters, you know, like, you know, there, I've seen so many like videos of Israeli people who are like just as horrified and it's not fair that like their country and state is being like hijacked by like all these things and people, everyone, you know, like there are humans on both sides. And I think, of course, Palestine is being attacked disproportionately, and we don't see that. But, you know, we can't villainize either side because it's like Fred Shuttlesworth said, if you have a closed fist, you can't shake someone's hand and make an agreement. Okay. So we all have to talk, you know. Okay. I mean, there's another whole can of worms that we could open up, which maybe we can open up on another... Uh another day, which is uh-huh. the influence that uh, Israeli interests have here in the U.S. and how they're able to organize and defeat anyone yeah. who comes out, um, you know, demanding that Israel follow some basic... Yeah, no, rules. absolutely. And even here, um, Glenn Greenwald did a, like an article in his paper about how i think i told you about a long time ago about how people were trying to go around to the uc regents and threaten them if um more ucs divested from israel because uc davis had so like there are spheres and factors of influence everywhere that are like you know pushing for this because there's a lot of money to be made in israel like even in the golan heights like in Syria, like, there's a lot of oil to be had. There's a lot of money to be made, you know, and it's also peak oil, so they're desperate. Okay. Okay. Um, thank you both very much. And what about our Bitcoin report? Uh, can I say one more thing? Sure. Sorry. I want to say happy Eid. Oh, all right. Uh-huh. And, um, we celebrate the same way you do in Christmas. You give gifts, you get gifts, and you go and you dress up, you go around town, which is which is why what's happening with that too. Um, but onto cryptocurrency and the world financial system coming into play. Um, it's let's have a little bit of fun with it and talk about how you know it's like an infant, right? It's a toddler in the whole Bitcoin cryptocurrency environment. Uh-huh. And it's trying to learn how to walk. And Elon Musk comes out of nowhere and tips the little baby over on his butt. Uh, with one tweet, <laughs> Elon Musk uh, has dropped the market from about $57,000 per Bitcoin uh, to about 47 And he and did that by saying that he would not accept payment in Bitcoin anymore? <laughs> Of course. You know what I mean? The, po- the point is, is it's, it's going to be the, the, the universal dollar, so, so to say. And you can sort of speculate on who would have had that in mind um, and when um, on your own. But, that, but, 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 you know, hey, like, we're ahead of the game. Anybody listening to this right now, you're, you're ahead of the game by just knowing that Bitcoin is there mm-hmm. and that, you know, 
professionals that can tell you anything about it. I'm not a financial advisor, and I give not financial advice. Um, that you can, you know, if you have, like, you can figure out how to be a part of it, and you're an early bird, and so early birds get the worm. Um, but and then you have to understand each money you put in. I'm not even going to say that anymore. Talk to financial advisors. But anyways, so the point is, Elon Musk willingly did that, um, and it just goes to show how volatile environment is. Um, but it's definitely getting stronger, and it has a foundation, and it's not going anywhere. And uh, plays like Ethereum, which are another, the second cryptocurrency, and it's like a Bitcoin on steroids. It allows you to attract, to to attach. Okay. Okay. Unfortunately, we're running out of time here. That was that was really an excellent um, explanation. I mean, I'm starting to feel like I really understand it thanks to these little sessions we have. But let me thank you both for uh, sharing your ideas with us. And hopefully one day soon, there'll be peace in the Mideast. Come and visit. We'll do. Okay. I'll have to figure that out. Okay. Bye-bye, you guys. Thanks again. they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, a negotiating table, where you work. You're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. This is the beast signing off, handing you over to flat black plastic. Stay tuned.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny radio, my friend. You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Let's Spiegelman. We're hosts of... Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A F L M O Y T. We watch a full length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and watch the movie at the same time. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. That's every Sunday, two p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, five percent. Five yeah, percent right. I'm time. so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show. 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, uh, da, 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 da. let's watch full-length full movie. Oh, wait, let's do a full-minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See, See you next month. I was just leaving the theater. Convertible. 
1969 gold Cadillac with the white interior that I drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. around in it on the freeway and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising that Cadillac on the freeway. Good feeling, I'll tell you. Can I see? Hello, Blake. Henry. Yeah. Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your uh, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey, everybody. Listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. My name is Breakfast. And I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, trans... As it were, 
starting again at the bottom perhaps, tagging itself at the stem so that it, and by it I mean others, find it again, or more precisely so that they can find the direction it has come from, so that others may see the successes in this regard, and as the caterpillar travels on, the water inside of him is a sort of push-pull warble, and the electrons in his body from his activity in his environment spin, and he spins, bits at a time, until his internal organization directs his feet to paddle up an arched and then sideways a bit to test, and his body carries out the instructions which both his chemical brain and atomic water provide a means of motion to do so, and in doing so aligns himself with another particular caterpillar turned from far away. As the message is clear that leaves are the place to be for such an amenable activity, and that the soil is pleased with the arrangement, and the plant seems keen to provide the anti-gravity for any time the caterpillar is willing to carry on with itself, and in these eventualities. As evident, the water is also stowed in a particular place near the abdomen which also drives our friend forward, to follow or be followed, and he'll find with this water, another satchel of water, in another caterpillar, warm also and traveled with a similar chemical means and process, which the water knows too with its natural physics of communication as surface tension. As they say, love may be in the air if one caterpillar is nearer to another, as they love themselves and hence each other in the moments their energies provide, and inspire them to provide for another. So while their endeavor of food has been successful, they also endeavor to see and become beauty, as their measure of indicative success in their understanding of love, as one in another, and that beauty perceived is what is transceiver for the liking of one another, and in that moment of offset water displacement, these beings now close and seeing each other at the angles and properties that provides for them this optimal view of the beauty before them, for them, from in front and behind, is when they move in, for that direction, and continue their endeavors justly to make an even greater love. It's at this point, where the processes which carry life for the living proceed and the successes go, trigger further seeing.